Um, so, a number of years ago, I, I, think, I think it was around 2004-ish, if I, if I remember correctly, that uh, Jess and I were invited to and went to our first, um, what, what is now known as Set Free Retreats, but back then it was known as Encounter Weekends that our church at the time ran. And our church had never done one before. It had come, the, the program had kind of come up from the southern U.S., and I think even originated, had originated uh, somewhere in South America, uh, and, had come, and, and they had brought this material. And, and really it was um, a weekend, it was an invitation for more freedom in Christ. An invitation that, that to break bondages in your life and to work through things in your past and to get free from stuff. And, and, I, and I, remember, I remember that weekend, it, it, and it was also really unique because we were at a, a facility, I think it was close to Brandon, that was a former mental health facility of some sort. And so the, 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 the experience was unique. And, but I, I remember so vividly going through that weekend and how resistant I was to some of the teaching, to, to some of the sessions. Like I, I, There was stuff in me that was coming up, and I was like, I don't like this. And, and I, like, I still have, have vivid memories about that. And, and, I, and I, I was almost like to the point at times during the weekend, I was obstinate to it. I was, I was like, I, was, I could feel in myself going, I was kind of like going, I'm not, I am not going to respond to this. And, and there was this internal struggle within me going on that I didn't want to surrender. And, and I realized after the fact, and as the Lord was doing work in me, and, and, and you know, throughout the years, but I, I realized that a lot of what was happening in me was this battle, and it was a very real battle between my flesh and my human nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. It, it really, it was, it was that thing that was going on inside of me. And, and so I, I remember going away from that weekend, and it was not overly enjoyable, uh, there was a whole lot happening inside of me. And now since then, I've done a number actually of set free retreats. I'm hoping to do, I want to actually do another one soon. I felt like the Lord's been speaking to me again. I'm saying, Paula, you need to do this again. And, and, and because, the reason is because each time I do one, the Holy Spirit does more work inside of me. It's like there's this progressive thing that happens where he, he highlights well, now, you, Paul, you need to now look at this. Paul, you need to look at this. And so all of that, really, if you boil it down, a big picture is it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So last Sunday, we looked at this whole question of who is the Holy Spirit? What is he like? We looked at the personality and the character of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about how Scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit being given to us in the coming of Jesus, and, and in his resurrection and ascension, the promises of God were being fulfilled. That there, was, there was a new age of the Spirit that began in the coming of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus, and in the ascension of Jesus. And, that, and, and there was this promise that God had made that this presence and the work of the Spirit would be given and released in a new way on this earth. And so, want to look at that a little bit more today. want to look at the work of the Spirit in our lives and in our midst. And so, really just simply asking the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? 
What are, what are some of the specific ways that he works in us? What are some of the specific ways that scripture talks about this, that Jesus shows us? And so I want to I look at this. And, and because the Holy Spirit, one of, you could say, if you want to ch- kind of chalk it up to what he is, the Holy Spirit is the change agent in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings and works deep, lasting change in us. So four areas I want to highlight this morning. And, and most of it, I really, I'm, I said this last week, but I want to kind of just spend time in John 14 to 16. That's where we're going to be today, actually. Mainly John 16. We're going to briefly touch in John 14. To look at what Jesus says there about what the Holy Spirit will come to do in us. And so, first off, if you want to turn, John 16, uh, verses 6 and 7. We're going to read a couple verses there. And then we're going to jump down a few verses. John 16, 6 and 7. Jesus says there, Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then jumping down to verse 24, Jesus says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does in us is he produces joy in us. The context here Jesus is talking about with the disciples is this this thing of grief, his departure. There's this suffering that's going to come for him, suffering that he says is going to come for the disciples. And and he talks about how the world is going to rejoice, and yet you're going to mourn. He says, it's, it's, it's all going to feel wrong. Everything's going to feel wrong. You're going to look at everything and you're going to be like, this doesn't feel right. And Jesus, he doesn't deny that this is a coming reality for, for his followers. But he, he says to them, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you in a way that I could never be with you. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the indwelling of his presence, in his followers, his ministry, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is beyond what Jesus could ever physically do on this earth. Jesus physically resurrected Jesus in the flesh, could never do what the extent of what the Holy Spirit, who has given to us, what he can do. And so, this, this, what he's saying here seems to be in the context of Jesus' resurrection. That there's this, this grief of Jesus' death that is coming. But he says, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. That's in verse 22 of John 16. And, and so there's this thing of, yeah, you're, you're, in, you're feeling sorrow. You're, you're going to experience sorrow. But the coming of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit, he is going to come and he's actually going to work and bring joy in you. And so what we see here is that the joy of the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. That the, 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 the truth that sin and death have been defeated. 
Yes, they're still very real in our world. Sin and death and all the effects of it are all very much present in our world. But they do not define those in Jesus. They don't define those of us who are followers of Jesus. And so this is, again, that going back to the importance of the historical validity of Jesus' resurrection is something to keep at the forefront of our minds because it changed everything. It changed everything and it brought about the coming of the Spirit in a completely new and different way on this earth. And so this is the joy that is found in the staggering truth of who Jesus is for you. This thing of you were in death, you were dead, but now in Christ you have been made alive. There's this, this things that, that has happened that where you were without hope in this world, now in Christ, you have all the riches of God. Everything has been opened and released to you. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you in such a new and radical way that everything has changed. That is reason for great joy on this earth. We're not, we're not talking about circumstantial happiness. We're not talking about temporal fulfillment and all the, the ways that we can chase after that. We're, we're talking here about something that is totally different. And it's interesting because Jesus here, he likens it to the birth of a child. And there is something in childbirth that is profound. Despite my limited experience... It's profound. I've been there. I'm told, and I've personally witnessed this, okay, so I, I, am, I am a living witness to this, that, that childbirth is pretty much up there with anything when it comes to pain experiences. And I'm willing to take women's word on that. I'm not, I'm not going to dispute that, and I don't want to in any way have to experience that myself. We'll just... We'll, we'll agree on that, right? That it's, that it's really up there. And, and yeah, it's a scale. For some, it's like really bad. I mean, my, my hand can testify that it was nearly crushed once as it lent support bed, at the bedside. Amazing healing work on my hand. Not totally joking. But then, but then this is the thing. Then this amazing transformation occurs almost immediately after this child is born. Like, it's like something happens where what transpired and all of that that went on in that room and all the hand crushing is forgotten. Like, in an instant. You're like, what happens? And it's because there is now this child that's been born. And, and so much so that this, this, is, this is what so, to me at least, is so unbelievable is that despite all that, women are willing to experience it again. And again. <laughs> because the joy of new birth and bringing that child into the world is like nothing else. The, the whole process is miraculous. And Jesus suggests here, this is what the joy of the Holy Spirit is like. That's, that's really interesting. 
wanted to find. So he says there in verse 21, so he's talking about how you're going to grief and you're, you're, you're gonna, the, the world is going to be rejoicing. You're going to be in sorrow and grief, but your grief will turn to joy. And he uses this thing of birth to, to bring this out. And that's what Jesus suggests, that that kind of experience like childbirth is what joy in the Holy Spirit is like. I think that's a profound picture for us. You know, and, and, and if we look through, through the New Testament, there's, there's places that are, that are really profound. It says in Luke 10.21 that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. No explanation is given in the text. It, it's, it, there's no context to it. It just says Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. It was like you almost get the sense that this was natural to Jesus. This is, this is part of who he was. Then we see in Acts where Paul and Barnabas, they're in Antioch, they're experiencing persecution, they're kicked out of the city, they're kicked out of the region. And it says that as they go away, like, like they're beaten, they're experiencing persecution, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. It says, uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he says, in the midst of severe suffering, you welcomed my message with joy that was given by the Holy Spirit. Severe suffering. And you welcomed it with joy. In speaking of the kingdom of God, in in Romans, the Apostle Paul, he highlights three aspects that are the work of the Spirit there. He says that the kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So there, there are two reasons here that I would suggest that we can see why we can be so confident that this joy can be experienced in our lives. First is Jesus' presence. Because unlike anyone else in all of human history, Jesus' actual presence is still available to us. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we experience Jesus' very presence in our midst. When, when we invite Jesus into our midst, we actually experience his living presence with us. The Holy Spirit testifies to us that who we, who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. So regardless of situations, regardless of circumstances, regarding, regardless of suffering that we face in our lives, we know who we are in Christ. Our, our future is never in doubt. Our past is forgiven. We know that we are loved, loved by our Father in heaven. Second reason that we can have confidence is that Jesus' provision. He says in verse 24 that we will ask and we will receive. God hears our prayers. He listens and hears our prayers. Jesus invites us here into prayer and relationship with the Father through him. He promises that we will receive answered prayer. And, and no, this, this isn't about God just doing whatever we want. You know, we have a list of, of wishes and God will, will grant all our wishes. It's not that. It's within the context of relationship and our desire for God's presence and lordship in our lives. But it's connected to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This, this is not shiny 
veneer Christianity, if you will. This, this is not image management Christianity. You know, this isn't like, let's come here on a Sunday, let's make sure that we look good, let's, let's put on nice clothes. I think, I think these are pre- this is pretty nice. Let's put on our nice clothes, right? Let's, let's make sure that we're projecting the certain image. That's, that's not what this is. This, this is the joy of the Holy Spirit being poured out into our lives amidst really crappy situations. Can I say that word? I don't, like, I'm not, I'm not, I could say something else. Because sometimes it really is actually that. But that's not what this is. That's not what this joy is. It's not, this isn't happy, clappy, make sure you look good, come to church, put on the right, that's not what this is. This is not circumstantial joy. This is joy that is produced in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And personally, I've got to contest for this joy all the time. I have to work and contest for this. And it reminds me again and again and again, Paul, you really need the Holy Spirit. This this is the joy, this is the fruit of the Spirit that's produced in me. How? As as I surrender more, as I'm led more by the Spirit, how how does the fruit of the Spirit, how is it produced in us? How is it produced in me? It's when I'm led by the Spirit. It's when I'm walking by the Spirit. It's when, I'm, when I am allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in me. And, and, and that, you know, again, this is the reality. That lack of joy, when I'm experiencing that, reveals I'm in need. It reveals I'm, I'm lacking. And so this is where it leads us to the second thing the Holy Spirit does. He helps us in our weakness. So flip over to John 14, 16. Really simple here. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Really simple. He says, I'm, I'm, he's here to help you. And then if you flip over to Romans 8, 26, Romans 8, 26 says in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Jesus simply says here, the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us. That's that word there, paraclete. We talked about that last week. It's, it's, it's used, that word that, that speaks of the Holy Spirit coming alongside of us to help us. But more than that, the Holy Spirit says here, Jesus says in John 14, the Holy Spirit will be in you. He's not, it's not just talking about he's going to come alongside you as like that sidekick. He's actually going to be in you. He will indwell us. It's this, this, this picture that the New Testament speaks of again and again and again. Jesus in us. Jesus living in us. Jesus being formed in us. Where Paul speaks about, again, the anguish of childbirth. He says to the Galatians, until Christ is formed in you. So there's this forming happening. There's this thing of Jesus making his home in our hearts. He says that too, that we, the Father and I will come to you, will make our home with you. This, this is the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. So I, I, I want to ask us, do we actually think about the Holy Spirit like that? Do, do, we, do we think do you think of Jesus' presence like that within you? 
Or, or do, we, do we think of Jesus as kind of, he's apart somewhere. He's, he's kind of he's somewhere else. He's, he's kind of, he's ascended into the heavens and, and he's hanging out there. He's hanging out somewhere there until he decides that he's ready to come back. Is that kind of how we look at this? How, how we assume how Jesus, what he is? But what if he's actually right here? What if, what if Jesus is actually dwelling inside of you? What if the very presence of God dwells in you? Not, not some abstract thing, not some abstract force, not some abstract power. God himself has come to dwell, to be in you. That, I, I, it's, it's like, whoa. I think when we really start to think about the reality of this and what scripture speaks of and living into this, because Romans 8, again, has this picture of childbirth where, where it presents the, the picture of creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And, and along with us, it says, we are groaning as like that. So, so imagine all of you, you're all groaning as in childbirth. And all you women are like, yeah, I can remember that. <laughs> Guys, try to pretend. We're all groaning. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We are all groaning as in the pains of childbirth, as we eagerly await our adoption, as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Do you ever, maybe as we get older, I think as I get older, I begin to, to this begins to be a little bit clearer. I'm like, oh yeah, new body. All of you who are older, are like, come on, Paul. But it, but it speaks of this longing to know the fulfillment of the hope of our salvation. We know that things are not as they should be. And that's where Romans 8.26 picks up. That's where that verse picks up, telling us that in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word there in the Greek is talking about our state. It's like the state that you are in. And it means a state of incapacity, a state of limitation, a state of sickness. That, that's our human frailty. And, and it also implies our need for healing, actually, that, that phrase. And it says the Spirit intercedes for us in this with wordless groans. The Spirit is groaning with us. Have you realized this? Again, it's this thing of the Spirit is not out there somewhere interceding for you. I don't, I don't know how you think about it. I don't know how we think about the Holy Spirit. Like, you think he's somewhere removed out there? And, oh, yeah, he's interceding for me, but he's... No, he's in you. He's inside of us, dwelling, and he's interceding for you. He's actually with you. Now, yeah, our, our sensitivity to the Spirit and, and our awareness of his presence, we, we can dull that for sure. We can hardly even be aware of him. And we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And yeah, what we do or what we don't do has a, have a, has a direct impact on his activity in our lives, for sure. 
We, we, and we'll, we'll look at that next week. But you, you can't even come to Christ without the work of the Spirit. It's impossible. And it says here in Romans 8 that the Spirit intercedes with for us according to the will of God. Which is also one of those, you can, you can meditate on that for a couple days. What, what is the will of God for you? Well, it, it goes on and tells us in the next few verses that the will of God for us is that we would be made more and more like Jesus. That in all things he's working to make you more like Jesus. God is 100, 110%. He's, he's, he's forever committed to helping us in our weakness to make us more and more like Jesus. There is, there is no end to the mercy, the grace, the love of God in his wanting to make you more and more and more like Jesus. That will never end. And, and, and I'm not, this isn't all like, oh, wow, sunshine and ice cream or, you know, sitting on an inner tube and floating on Lake Kelowna and all that goodness. It's not, it's not just that. It's junk. It's hitting that stuff in your life where I'm like, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with this. And the Holy Spirit is interceding and saying, I want to I help you. I want to help you in your weakness. I want to make you more like Jesus. And, you know, the one thing I've learned slowly is that I don't typically like to think that my weaknesses are actually weaknesses. And therefore, I don't want to actually have to admit that I actually need the help of the Holy Spirit, which means I don't think that I need to receive the help that I so desperately need because my weaknesses aren't my weaknesses, right? And so my weaknesses, which I don't want to admit are weaknesses, can remain closed off to the ministry of the Holy Spirit that I really need. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Well, just ask my family. They know. And then I delay becoming more like Jesus because that would require vulnerability and that would require hard work. Maybe that's just me. Is that just me? I didn't think so. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us in our weakness. And the, the simple question is, are we willing to invite his ministry into those areas? Third, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. I'm going to, I've got to pick it up. Uh, John 16, 13. If you want to turn there quickly. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And then if we read, going, if we go back, go back to verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgments. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In, in John 14 to 16, Jesus uses the title, the Spirit of Truth, three times to speak of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.21 talks about the truth that is in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one that guides and directs us into 
truth. And that's not automatic. We, we have to respond to this. We have to be willing for the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. Here in, here in John 16, the verses that we read there, it says that Jesus says the Holy Spirit does three things. He will prove to the world, meaning suggesting that there is real disagreement about this, and the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to actually provide proof to be, that the world is wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. How? What, what, is, what is Jesus saying here? What he's saying is that the Holy Spirit actually, some of what the Holy Spirit does, part of what he is to us, is he convicts us of our sin. He shows us our sin. He shows us our brokenness. He shows us our woundedness. He shows us our rebellious natures. He shows us our selfishness. And he, and he invites us into repentance. He, he will expose sin in our lives and he'll invite us to come to Jesus so that we can receive the forgiveness and the healing that we need to walk in restoration and wholeness. The resurrection of Jesus, it, it revealed the righteousness of God. Romans 3.21 talks about that the righteousness of God has now been made known. First Timothy 3.16, or 1 Timothy 3.16, sorry, talks about how Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. His, his miracles and then ultimately his resurrection, that the Spirit vindicated who Jesus was. And it reveals that we're in the wrong about righteousness. We, we need the Holy Spirit to awaken us to the depths of sin, the sin and guilt of the human heart. This is why after Peter preaches in Acts 2, it says that in response, the people were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter responds, he says, repent and be baptized. He, said, he summons them, he invites them, he says, you need new ownership, you need new lordship in your life. You repent. And really sin is at, at the root of that refusal of grace. It's this idea of I, I can save myself. I'll, I'll figure it out. That was, that was the attitude of a good part of my early life. That was, that was some of the attitude that I stepped into in that encounter weekend. The attitude of Paul can figure this out himself. Paul doesn't need this guy or that person telling him what to do. Paul doesn't need that person. I, I don't like the sound of that. It's this fear of losing control. It's this fear of, of actually being exposed, which really sucks, by the way. It's not fun to be exposed, but it's necessary if we're going to walk in healing. And the res finally, it says there, Speaking of those verses that the, Jesus says, the resur my resurrection ultimately, his resurrection sealed Satan's fate. His condemnation isn't in question. He has been, he stands condemned. His final judgment is coming. And by his presence and by his work in our lives, the Holy Spirit, he testifies to this reality Satan does not have authority over those in Christ. Yep, we can give him authority. We can open up, our, through things in our lives, we can open up ourselves to the work and the, and the, the damaging work of, the, of Satan and his power. But that's the only way he has power in our lives if we give it to him. He has no authority. He stands condemned. It's this thing of that 
The Holy Spirit is continuously speaking truth. Primarily and most importantly through scripture is how God is doing it. I'm gonna, I need to speed up here. But it's, it's the Holy Spirit, he awakens our minds and our hearts to the truth of scripture. You know, the very nature of God, and we, we, we sang it this morning again, the very nature of God is truth. The very nature of God is complete reality. The light of God is bathed, if you will, in pure truth. To live as children of light is to live in this truth. Ephesians 5 calls us into this. It's, it's to live in truth and reality, to continually seek to be rooting out darkness, continually be seeking to root out deception in our lives. This, Jesus says that Satan has been, he is a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And, and what he does is he operates in deception. And he wants to continually keep us in that pattern of deception and lies and operating and allowing that into our lives. Yeah, there's, there's so much we could say about this. But this is, this is why repentance in the life of followers of Jesus is so essential. We, 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 by, by repentance, we expose the works of darkness, even in ourselves. We get it into the light. We come into the light. We come into truth. And what deception does is deception gives room to the work of Satan in our lives. But the Holy Spirit, he'll always guide us into truth. He's always seeking to bring us into truth. He's always seeking to have us operate in the truth of Jesus. It's his very nature. Okay, I gotta, I'll quickly touch on this last point. Ah. It's okay. Holy Spirit knows. Holy Spirit, lastly, he glorifies Jesus to us. This is found in John 16, verses 12 to 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit always, always, always will direct us to the sufficiency of Jesus for our lives. Always. He will always lead us to Jesus. You know, I've, I've got a friend, Dane. He is younger, uh, fitter, and better looking than me. He just is. He is. It's okay. Like he, I, and, and, but every time I see him, and this, this just happened, uh, he'll make a point of telling me how good I look, and I'll, and, I, and I'll return the compliment, we'll, and there'll, there'll be this like little bromance going on. And, and then as I tell him this, uh, he'll tell me, and he told me this again, just like, he says, well, you know what, Paul, I take all my cues from you. And I'm like, 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 Dane, he knows how to dish out compliments, like, and it's not fake. Like, he's not, you, he's not, he, it's not, he, it is who he is. The Holy Spirit's honor for Jesus is like that. Sort, but, but on steroids, if I can say that. 
And steroids aren't good. But, but the, the point is the, the Holy Spirit is always, always, always putting the attention on Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not seek attention. Rather, he makes it all about Jesus. He does not exalt himself above Jesus in any way. It's this, this unity in the Godhead that models complete honor and unity. The Son surrendered to the Father, the Father honoring the Son, the Spirit honoring and glorifying the Son to us. That There's no selfish, self-serving motivation at work there in the Godhead. None. Now, we find that very difficult to understand because our inclination is not that. But the Holy Spirit reminds us of the incredible work of Jesus and the enormity of what he has done for us. The Holy Spirit, he's in our lives, he's in your life to constantly push you and remind you and, and bring you back to the truth. All life, all fullness is found in Jesus. All of it. Okay, this is where I, I want to end because I think, I think this, uh, yeah, this is really important. In glorifying Jesus, the Holy Spirit also speaks the words of Jesus to us. Everything, everything, everything is in unity with Jesus. Dane Ortland, he says in his uh, new book, this, I love this, the Spirit is the continuation of the heart of Christ for his people. Oh. I read that and I was like, that's, that's so good. This, this is the incredible reality for followers of Jesus, that, that the Holy Spirit, remember, he's present in you. He dwells in you. He takes the words of Jesus and he internalizes them for us individually. He, he, he actually, the Holy Spirit makes scripture come alive. I'm not, I'm not saying scripture's all about you. It's not. But, but he makes the, the scripture come alive and we encounter God in deeply, personal ways. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he awakens our affections, he moves our emotions, and, and, we, and what happens is we know that we have met and we have experienced God. We, and we, we, you, can, you can look back on those times when you meet and you experience the Holy Spirit, and you go, I, I know that I know that I know that I met God. And in all that, the Holy Spirit is deepening our affections for Jesus. Okay. So as we enter prayer and fasting this week, I want to I encourage you, I was thinking about how, how, do, how can we, how's the Lord, how would he invite us to kind of pair this with prayer and fasting, if you will? I want to encourage you to simply be intentional to invite the Holy Spirit to minister to you in the midst of daily life. In the midst of whatever is going to go on in your week, the stuff you're going to face, the difficult stuff, the hard stuff, the frustrating stuff where you want to respond in frustration, where you want to respond in all manners of emotions. In, those, in that, the intentionality of asking the Holy Spirit for his joy asking the Holy Spirit to help you in your weakness, inviting him to guide you into truth and asking him to glorify Jesus to you. So I was thinking of this and, and there's, this is what I'm gonna do. 
I came up with just four little bullet points of that that are really easy. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit this week. And that is more joy, help in weakness, more truth, glorify Jesus. Really simple. Holy Spirit, this week, more joy, help in weakness, more truth, glorify Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jen, you want to come up and we'll end.